That is, that is a very, very beautiful song and an even more beautiful truth, isn't it, this morning? God loves you. God loves you, and he loves me. God loves you and me. <laughs> I love that. God loves you, and so do I. <laughs> and I hope you know that if you're here, especially if you're new to the home church, we want you to know that the home church loves you. Great song to lead into today's message. I, God loves you and wants to give you peace. He really, really does. So get on his path to peace. That's what we're going to talk about today. Get on the path to peace this morning. Now, some people say that people can't change. People don't change, they say. I am completely against that statement. If I believe that, then I would need to quit what we're doing here. I'd just be done. I believe people can change and people do change. And so sometimes we need a good case study to remind us of these things and this truth. I've been thinking about this lately because my son James is reading a book that uh, had a big impact on me when I was a teenager. I wasn't a big reader back then, and uh, in, in fact, this was the first book in my life that I can remember that I actually wanted to read. <laughs> and because, the reason I wanted to read it is because it was, the, the story pulled me in. The, the book is called Run, Baby, Run by Nikki Cruz. It's his life story. Nikki was born into a Satan-worshipping and violent home in Puerto Rico in 1938. He developed a taste for violence and blood, really, from a very young age. And at some point, he moved to New York and became involved in gangs there in New York City and ran the streets of New York. He learned to hate, really, I mean, just had a hatred for every living soul. I mean, he just did not like people. He hated, he hated everything about life. And if there was one thing for sure, if you read his story, Nikki had no peace. There was no peace in his heart whatsoever. And many of us, if we would have met Nikki, I'm sure at that time, would have written him off as a, a gangbanger, you know, a guy who's leading gangs and just and, uh, thirsty for violence. We would just say, he has the mind of a criminal. And and he's never going to have peace. But then, as he writes in his story, God sent him what he called a skinny white preacher named David Wilkerson. And maybe that's why I kind of liked the book, because I, I knew I was a skinny white guy, and uh, maybe I could do something for the Lord. <clears throat> David Wilkerson found Nikki on the streets, and I can't tell you the whole story for time's sake, but... He kept faithfully after Nikki, just loving him and, and uh, saying, I love you, Nikki, and Jesus does too. I love you, and Jesus does too. Nikki spit in his face. He would do anything he could to get that preacher away from him. His story is also in the book and the movie called The Cross and the Switchblade. But God changed the life of Nikki Cruz. He gave his heart to Jesus, and over time, he let more and more things go, and he gave more and more of his life to Jesus. Nikki went on to become a preacher himself, and he is still today leading people to Jesus Christ. I love that story. 
Nikki Cruz is a case study on how God can completely transform an, an individual. He went from death to life. Nikki went from brokenness to wholeness. Nikki went from chaos to peace. And God can do that for anyone. Anyone. And that's what a story like that reminds us of. But he can also do that for the little skinny teenager that's reading the book about Nikki. Because I know most of us in here probably don't have Nikki's story. But I know that there are some in here this morning that do not feel at peace. You don't feel at peace with where you are right now spiritually. You don't feel at peace with just where you are in life. Lots of people, and you know, lots of people are just simply existing, but they have a lack of peace in their heart. They have financial burdens, relational burdens, family burdens. We know that alcohol abuse is up, drug abuse is up. You can just go to the store and look at the angry and stressed out faces of people all around you. Look at the road rage. Look at all the angry and disgusting language from keyboard warriors, you know, on social media. Look at the turmoil in homes. Look at the exhaustion that people are feeling from the rat race. And then babies are born into those kinds of homes that are filled with turmoil and chaos. And then the cycle starts again. Peace seems like sometimes a distant dream for many people. But let me just tell all of us here this morning, God does not want it to be this way. And he does not want it to be this way in any of our lives or in any of our hearts. Peace is possible. It is possible even in the darkest times. But this is an important thing to remember here as we launch into this, this path to peace. Peace is a byproduct. It's not what we seek after and go after. Peace is a byproduct. The Bible as a whole bears out the truth that peace is a byproduct. And it is a byproduct of a healthy Christian life. Peace is the byproduct of a healthy Christian life. So each of us this morning need to get on the path to a healthy Christian walk with the Lord. And if we do that, that will lead to peace. So that's what we're going to look at today. And by the way, I just want to mention this. Some will come to church and try to get peace. And I know many, that's one of the big reasons they would even come to church, because they're, they're sensing a lack of peace. And I commend you wholeheartedly for that good job. But what might happen for some, and we've seen this over the years, is time will pass and you feel you're not feeling the peace that you thought you would get when you come to church. And then you might leave church. And then when somebody says, why don't you come to church? And you, then you might answer, I tried that. It didn't work. I didn't get the peace I was looking for. And I just want to remind us that there is more than just going to church. That's not the path that I'm talking about, even though that is a huge, huge part of the path. There's more than just going to church if you want to be on this path to peace. We're going to see a man who found peace at the end, and God promised him peace because he was walking a certain type of path. It's a whole life thing, 
and I'll show you what I mean. We're going to look at another case study in the Bible, and and this morning it's going to be from the Old Testament. I'm going to introduce you to a man who was born into a very dark situation, an evil and highly dysfunctional family, and a pervasively anti-God nation. You could say that he was born into a family and national chaos, but we're going to see his path to peace. His name is King Josiah. King Josiah. His story is in the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles and in chapter 34. So if you have your Bibles this morning, that's where we're headed, 2 Chronicles 34. Now real quick, I love Old Testament life stories. I really, really love them. And re- One of the reasons I love them is because they show how the spiritual truths of the Bible that are written all throughout God's Word, how those spiritual truths are played out into real life situations like yours and like mine. These are real people who dealt with real things on the same levels we do. So it's very relatable. And when we look at the kings in particular, those kings of Israel, I really like those because those are lessons on how to and how not to lead our lives, lead our own lives, and lead our families, and lead our futures. They're kings, and in a sense, every person is a king or a queen of their own life. You've gotta make some decisions for yourself that are gonna shape your future and shape the way things go. And so these are why when we study the kings, this is so important. I'm also this morning going to do a little Bible study with all of us because I'm going to overlay 2 Chronicles chapter 34 with another passage in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 3. And what we're going to see is that the same path to peace that Josiah went on is the same thing that Paul gives to the church. And it's really that same path uh, all throughout Scripture. And we're going to see how the Old Testament and the New Testament so perfectly complement one another, though these books, Second Chronicles and then Colossians, are written about six to 700 years apart. This is the amazing thing, the miraculous thing about the Word of God here. So whether you're a gang member from New York City here this morning, <laughs> or you're the person reading the book about the gang member We all need this scripture. 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 1, here it is. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. All right, so first thing we see is some basic information about this monarch here. He's eight years old when he's made king. What would that be like, (laughs) having a third grader as your king? (laughs) And this is not the time for Joe Biden jokes, okay? I see some of you already looking over and saying things. We're moving on from that. All right. But the reason Josiah begins his reign at age eight gives us really a clue as to the chaotic and violent situation that he was born into. His father, Ammon, was assassinated by his own servants. He was not a good man. Nobody liked him. His servants killed him, but then here's what happened to those servants. So another group assassinated those servants because they still wanted the lineage uh, of David to continue, and so then they placed this eight-year-old boy, that's all they had left, they had this eight-year-old boy put him in charge. So his dad is assassinated, and the people who assassinated him are assassinated. There's a lot of killing going on right in, in the castle, and you think you had a rough family life. Not a great start for Josiah, okay? A baby with a wicked father. Ammon was one of the worst of the worst. And now he's a child with no father. 
But he did not look at this as an excuse. Look at the synopsis of his life in verse 2. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. What a great way to sum up someone's life. He did that which was right in the sight of God. A lot of people are doing what's right in their own sight. But there's too few doing what's right in the sight of God. But he did that which was right in the sight of God, and he walked in the ways of David his father. And David was actually his great-great-grandfather. And he declined not, it says, to the right or to the left. Man, how are they going to sum up your life? When somebody stands up at your funeral, what are they going to say? What's the, what's the overarching thing about your life that everybody's going to remember? It's not necessarily the little things we say. It's the big picture of our life. What are the ways that they will say that you walked in? Will they say that he or she, they did not go to the right or to the left. They just stayed faithful. Or will they say, yeah, they was a nice guy, she was a nice lady, great woman, but they just couldn't stay on track. They just couldn't quite stay on track. It says here that Josiah was a faithful man. Like his great-great-grandfather David, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left. This is one of the highest forms of praise that God could give a king back then, give anybody. David was the standard for following God. He was not perfect. He was definitely not perfect. That's just a reminder for us. God's not saying that he's expecting that all of us will be perfect at all times. But David was always faithful to God. He came back. So the point is that Josiah lived a faithful life. But when you think about his life, he really shouldn't have. When you consider his family situation, his national situation... Let me just give you a little backdrop here real quick. His grandfather, Manasseh, was perhaps the worst of all the kings who reigned back then. And he reigned the longest, 55 years. He led the people, his, this is Josiah's grandfather, led the people into more wickedness and blasphemy and rebellion than any other king. 2 Chronicles 33, a chapter back in verse 3 says this, for he, talking about Manasseh, this is Josiah's grandfather, for he built again the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves, I'll explain, and worshipped all the... That's the stars. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So just look at how anti-God Josiah's grandfather was. Not only did he encourage the people to stop worshiping God in the temple, so everybody get out of the temple, we're not going to worship God the way you've heard David and others in the past worship God. But he also went ahead and in the temple, God's house, set up places of worship 
altars for people to come to a false god. In the hills surrounding Judah, he put altars there. And in these places, there would be drug use, fornication, and all of that would be all part of worship. Wicked, wicked things that would happen in these places up in the hills. And he encouraged the worship of sun and stars, and he says here, he literally burned his children in the fire to the gods. He set up disgusting altars in the god's house, probably phallic symbols, right where the worship of God was supposed to be taking place. He desecrated the house of God. Later in life, Manasseh did see the error of his ways, but really the damage was done. After Manasseh died, his son Ammon reigned for two years and kicked all this evil into high gear. And that is what Josiah is born into. Here's a side note. Again, Josiah shows us that no matter how bad it is, no one, no one should use their background or where they came from as an excuse to not follow God. Nobody. This is an eight-year-old boy here, and he became a wonderful king of Judah with a great heart. I'm also reminded of two more quick things here. Number one, do not underestimate how devoted children and young people can be to God. Do not underestimate a child. And number two, do not underestimate people from uh, dysfunctional upbringings. Don't underestimate them. The world underestimates people. I'll tell you that right now. They put people in categories, low income, working class. They, put, they just shove people in boxes. But that, that's not how God views the world. That's not how God views people. God does not see people through outward lenses like you and me do. He sees their heart, the Bible tells us. And that, was, that is what he is looking at. Josiah had a heart that sought after God. And this is the first thing that we're going to see on this path to peace. So here is the path to peace that we're going to look at in Josiah's life. Number one is that Josiah genuinely sought the Lord. He genuinely sought the Lord. So can I tell all of us to genuinely seek the Lord? It all starts with the heart. Second Chronicles 34 and verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, that is Josiah, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David. Sixteen years old, he is now eight years into his reign, and he is rejecting now, at 16 years of age, all that he has seen in his family, and he's rejecting all that he has seen in the nation. He is now setting his heart and only seeking the one true God. Who was teaching him this? Who was teaching Josiah? Uh, we have no idea. The Bible does not tell us. My guess is his mom. <laughs> Moms, <clears throat> you have a lot of influence. I could just hear Josiah's mom saying, Josiah, do not be like your dad. <laughs> and do not be like your grandfather. You know what you got to do. I don't know. That's just a guess. But moms, you do have a lot of influence, not just on the girls in your home, but the boys in your home too. And if it was not her, it was somebody. It was somebody. And now how this is worded, I think, it, may, it makes me think that somebody was 
giving him especially the stories of David, his great-great-grandfather. And I think that maybe somehow his great-grandfather David made an impression on this little boy. The power of a good legacy is amazing. Even several generations down. I have a Bible in my office right now that sits on my side desk over there from my great-grandfather. And uh, what a... What a treasure it is to me sometimes to open that Bible and to read the notes that he wrote years and years ago, a man who served the Lord, a great grandfather. See, that's what you and I ought to be for the people in generations to come in our family, that they would look back and say, be like, be like them, serve the faith that they, have the faith that they had. But I want to highlight that it says here that he began to seek after the God of David. David was a great example, but Josiah wasn't seeking after David. He sought after God. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul told this to the church. Verse 1, if ye then, speaking to believers here, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. See, Paul's step one, after you've been saved, after you've been born again, after you know that you are risen with Christ, you're a new person, then seek those things which are above. Not just seek, but set your affection on them. You've placed your trust in Jesus. You've been born again. Start seeking God. Make all, make God and all things pertaining to God your new first love. If you make your life and love about earthly things, then your emotions and our emotions will rise and fall with earthly situations and earthly things and earthly ups and downs. For example, if my affection is on money right now, this weekend, things aren't looking good. Things are not looking good. And I wouldn't be at peace. But if I'm all about things above, if my affection is on things above, then I can still be at peace no matter what. No matter what Wall Street says or anybody else. Josiah was not going to let this happen to him. I am not going to set my affection. I am not going to seek the things of this earth. He went on a genuine search for God and everything about God. He felt this tug in his heart that there is more than what everybody else is doing. There's more to this life than what this neighbor is up to and this neighbor is up to and that neighbor over there. There's got to be more in this coworker is what they're saying. There's got to be more to this life than just all this stuff everybody else is doing. There's more than the rat race and there's more than getting drunk and following my passions like my dad did, Josiah might be thinking. There's more than living with no peace like everybody else and like all these people. Listen, if you've ever felt this tug, if you've ever sensed that, then that, you can guarantee, is a drawing from God toward him. That is him pulling you toward him. God is the only one who can fill a heart, and he is constantly drawing people to himself. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, Jesus said, I, am, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That sounds peaceful, doesn't it? 
Jesus sitting and eating with you, on the inside having that peace that me and Jesus are okay, I'm at, I'm at peace. So I would encourage you then, open the door. Open the door and make your life all about him. Seek him first. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Just say, I enjoy this earth, but Jesus is my life. I'm a truck driver, but Jesus is my life. I'm a mother, but Jesus is my life. I'm a single adult looking for a good relationship, but Jesus is my life. I'm a teenager going through school, but Jesus, he is my life. General William Booth, he started the Salvation Army, and he was once questioned about his secret to success. And suddenly tears filled his eyes. And he declared this. He said, the secret is this. Quote, God has all there was of me. There have been men with higher intelligence and opportunities than I. But from the day I took the poor of London to heart and saw what Jesus could accomplish with them, I resolved that God should have all of William Booth. And that's what I, we th- I think we all should say this morning. Does, does God have all of us? Lord, you have all of me. I want to seek you and you alone. God did have all of this 16-year-old boy Josiah here. And notice what he does next here. After four years then of seeking God and growing personally, he looks around here and realizes that I'm in a position to make a change. I'm in a position to do something and make a difference in the things around me. Verse 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge. Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So here is his next step, to purge. More specifically, he went through his whole realm and purged the evil that had been exalted in the land. So number two for us this morning, I think on this path to peace is that we need to systematically purge sinful patterns in our life. We need to systematically purge sinful patterns. These sinful patterns in Josiah's family and his country had to go. He saw that. We're not going to be able to seek the Lord wholeheartedly at the same time that all my realm. And it echoes the same exact thing. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, Paul told the Christians there, mortify, that means put to death. Therefore, your members, that is your body parts. Put to death your body parts which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I don't know what evil concupiscence is, but it sounds horrible. But all these are old English words, really, for sensual sins. Sensual, very sexual sometimes sins. Put to death those things. Verse 6, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, 
blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So though these are maybe not, we wouldn't call them sensual sins as much as we might call them social sins. <laughs> Anger, wrath, malice, filthy communication. Or maybe we might call them socially acceptable sins. Paul said, put those off too. Verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Paul tells Christians, you know, it's not enough just to seek and set your affection on things above. You also need to mortify. You need to put to death some things in your, in your life. Things that are pulling you into sin. Things that are drawing you into things that God is, it causes God wrath and anger. Those are the old you. And that's what Paul says, you used to walk in them. You used to do those things, but put that old you to death. Starve the old you. Kill the old you. Notice that I'm not speaking uh, <laughs> uh, practically here. You understand what I'm saying. Notice that Paul knew that they, had, they all had a past in, in which he walked sometimes. And I just want to remind everybody here that you may have a past you may have a past that you're very ashamed of, skeletons in your closet, things you do not want people to find out. God knows about them. They're not a secret to him. But if you've been saved and you've been born again, then you are a new person in Jesus. So I would just encourage you right now to put that old stuff away. That's the old you. Put it to death in your, in your practical life now. It's already to death in your spiritual Walk with the Lord, but now let's put it to death in the practical day-to-day. -day. Not only the sensual sins, but the social sins as well. Put off all these, the Apostle Paul says. And in the Greek language, they would use this term, put off, when they were talking about changing their dirty clothes. Get them off of you. I remember after, you know, years ago when we were building that first building over there, and um, it was in the middle of the summer, and we decided that that was going to be the best time, I guess, to put up the insulation in the roof, next to the roof. It's 100 degrees outside, and so inside, underneath that hot tin roof and putting up insulation, I do not know how hot it was up there, but, um, but it was unbelievably bad. John and I were up there in, that, in, the, uh, in the lift for several days on end until we were completely loony, and now you're looking at me saying, that explains a lot about this guy. But... Um, and, and by the way, if you're a pastor around here, I hope you understand you, we're, you're not just going to be doing pastory things. So that's, we do everything. But at the end of those days, I remember it was, you know, the, 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 these are the biggest time in my life that I could not wait to get out of these stinky, sweaty, with little bits of fiberglass in every crevice of those clothes I, I could not wait to get home to remove those clothes out of my life. I'll, and my greatest joy was to put them off. And that's what Paul says that we need to do with all of the old sin that was a part of our life and any sin that's trying to creep into our life. Get it off. Throw it off. Sinful patterns can develop very quickly. And so Paul says, put it off. Put off those dirty clothes. Dirty clothes have no place on clean people. And you are clean. 
on the inside. And notice it's something that I've got to do. Sin won't just leave my life by itself. I've, again, after a, no, after a hard day's work, so many of you will go home and you'll have to take off those dirty clothes. But I've noticed that in those days when I was going home and doing that, um, my clothes never just fell off by themselves. I had to do it. And so Paul is telling you, listen, put off, put off. Do everything you can to put off those things. Josiah certainly did not have mercy on any of that, those sinful patterns. These are the things that were causing people to go astray. And look at verse 4 again in 2 Chronicles 34. And they break down, he says, it says here, they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them. He cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break in pieces and he made dust of them. So he grinded them into powder, those idols. And he strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Notice Josiah systematically traveled throughout his whole kingdom and purged the entire land. There were idols in, in every city. There were idols everywhere. And he, they were idols in the cities, there were idols in the suburbs, there were idols in the rural areas, and he himself here traveled around with the team, the breakdown team, that was going to grind them all up, and he cut them down, grounded them to powder, and, and I was thinking about this in relation to our families, dads and moms, we need to be personally involved in purging our little kingdoms. You know, it's a never-ending battle, and it's a hard battle to, to go through our home and be thoughtful about what's going on and to purge what needs to be purged and things that could create sinful patterns. Next week, by the way, we're going to get some great insights with this family conference coming up. I'm excited about that. We've been waiting for this, and I think we're going to really have some tools at our disposal for this kind of thing. But we can't give up and we can't let our kingdoms go to pot. <clears throat> it's the worst idea to give up on this. We have to keep purging. But for all of us, if you're a queen, king or a queen over just you, then, then purge your own life. If you're a king or a queen of a household, then purge you and the household. If you're a king or a queen of a business, then purge you and that business. Go through and and, and just do this. You know, there's a great statement in our country, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. And I would say it's the, it's the price of peace also. I will not have peace. I will not have peace if there is something between God and me. I will not have peace if there's sin and sinful patterns just destroying my daily walk with the Lord. And many today do not have peace because there are just too many idols and too many sins, too many fleshly desires that are being fulfilled. 
We've left some of the old stuff around and we think it's not a big deal, but, but listen, let me just tell you, it is a big deal. And I, God wants us to mortify. He wants us to put to death these things because we'll never really be at that place of just a sense of peace until some of those things are cast down and ground to powder. Once the purge was complete, though, Josiah knew what he had to do next. Number three, completely rebuild a new life around God. Completely rebuild a new life around God. Look at verse 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So Josiah is now 26, and he has done all that he can to seek the Lord. He's put his heart in line with God. He's seeking and setting his affection on things above. He's purged, he's purged the land, and he looks, and he looks to God's house. And he looks at all his predecessors have done to the temple. And he knows it's time to rebuild this place, this house of worship. And so he goes all in on repairing and rebuilding the temple, God's house, the house of prayer, the house of worship. And his family and nation, he knew, needed to be centered again around God. They needed to be centered around God's spiritual growth plan in the temple. Worship, praise, prayer, sacrifices, the feasts, they'd all been missing in the land. Nobody had been doing any of that for a long, long time. And Josiah knew it was time to get everybody back all of us together serving the Lord. Why do all these things? Because it's the way to help keep a person focused on God for the long haul. Why would he even spend all the money? Why would he take all the time to build up, rebuild the temple? Because this is God's spiritual growth plan. It's going to help everybody stay in a good place. You know, we humans are fickle. We lose interest very quickly in things even in good things. This is why just a few weeks away from church can drag us down, it can drag our family down, and it'll drag our family down a path that we don't want to be. We need to build a life that's saturated with the things of God and is continually being renewed. Just renewal, 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 renewal. Renewing of the mind, the Bible says. This reminds us that, you know, you can empty the life of sin but you have to fill it with constant good. You can purge, but if you do nothing then after you purge, it's going to come all right back. You have to fill it with constant good so that it will keep going. And Paul calls this putting on. Purging is putting off, and now look what Paul says for putting on. Verse 9 in Colossians 3, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, 
holy and beloved, that's you and me, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. Paul is saying, listen, don't just take off the dirty clothes. You've got to put on the clean clothes. We have to make our life about mercy, make our life about kindness, make our life about humility here, patience, forgiveness, love. Make those things what, are, what defines who we are. And then we get, how do we get that though? How do we get to a place where those things are part of our DNA? Well, we get it through the renewing and the renewing and the renewing and the renewing of our mind. And that comes through going to church, three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, coming and being a part and saturating yourself with the Word of God and the worship and fellowship of people, home Bible reading, prayer, serving God, singing, fellowship of the saints, all of these things, we're just saturating ourselves. You say, whoa, whoa, Pastor Luke, that is a lot of stuff. And that's a little, you're going a little overboard here. Well, look at Josiah. He held nothing back. He goes all out on getting rid of the bad and rebuilding the good. He spent whatever time, whatever money was necessary for for rebuilding this temple, this place that he knew would be the spiritual growth plan for God's people. He hired all the people that were necessary to rebuild, and nothing was going to stand in the way of his, him getting this place of worship back. Look at verse 9. And when they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites had, that kept the doors had gathered, of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, and of all the remnant of Israel, and of all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they put it, that is the money, in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. Even to the artificers and builders gave they it, to buy hewn stone and timber for couplings, and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. God's house was in shambles, and nothing was going to hinder Josiah from rebuilding what had been lost. He said, get the finest artists, get the best workers, and we're going to pay them whatever is necessary to make this a beautiful house once again. We're going to come here and we're going to worship in this beautiful place and we are going to honor the Lord. We're going to do it all together and it's going to help all of us keep going and keep going and we're going to, we're going to spare no expense. And nothing should stop us either from building a life of worship to God. Put on these things. Keep putting on and putting on and putting on and putting on. Don't stop putting on. Don't stop putting on. There's one more beautiful surprise to Josiah's story, and I think it's a great example of what happens when we go all in on this, when we take the step on this path to peace. Verse 14 in 2 Chronicles 34, look, look at this. And when they brought out the money that, has, that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest 
found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. He found something. It was hidden among all the rubble. And once the workers started working and people started going, all of a sudden, the word of God was hiding under the rubble. They had, nobody had seen a copy of the word of God in years. Verse 15, and Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, all that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have de delivered it into the hands of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. Because the people were doing the right thing, because they were going all in on this, they found the copy of the word of God. They found the word. This was an epic moment in Israel's history. It was likely that nobody had seen a copy of the word of God for 50 plus years. Some scholars think that Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, and Ammon probably, had tried to destroy every copy of God's word that there was. So when the moment came and the scribe found that copy, brought it to the king, and he opened the scroll and began to read it, it cut to the heart of Josiah. For the first time in his life, he knew he was on the right track. He knew his heart was seeking after God. He knew he was going the right way. But when the words of God hit his heart, they cut him deep. And the things that he had known from kind of afar off in God's ways, he now, said, he now saw in high definition. This is the truth. This is where we have strayed. And what we have been doing is the right thing. The word was like a sword that cut into his heart. It was like a surgeon's knife that cut to heal. And rending his clothes, Josiah, was a sign of overwhelming grief over his nation's disobedience. And it was also, listen, a humble way of acknowledging the great need that he had and the great need that his nation had to return to God. And by the way, that rending of the clothes was a very big thing to God because it was an outward sign of where God wants all of us to be on the inside. God wants our hearts in a place where we are distraught by what we see. We are, we are beside ourselves, and we humbly acknowledge, Lord, we humbly acknowledge that we, me, I need to return to you in my heart. My family, we need to return to you. Our church and our nation, we need to return to you. And that's why, lastly, number four here on this path, I believe, to peace is to humbly commit to following all the word of God. Josiah, when he read and saw and, and heard the book of the law read, his eyes were open to what they had been missing in the word of God and and by the way, this happens to a sense, in a sense to us too. You see, when we actually go in, all in on faith, and, and bow our knee, and rend our clothes, as it were, in our hearts, and humbly acknowledge that we need God, all of a sudden what happens, 
The word of God is open to our minds in a way it never was before. The Holy Spirit begins to work and he opens and illumines our, the word of God and our eyes are then open to things that we have seen now. And you know, people say, I don't understand the Bible. Well, part of it could be because you have not gone all in on God yet. I'm telling you right now, once you do that, once we just surrender, once we just say, Lord, like General William Booth, you have all of me. It's an amazing thing that takes place spiritually. All of a sudden, all the things that were hidden in the Word of God that we quite didn't understand, they begin to, they begin to come to light. And once you fully commit to following God's, God's ways, I believe you'll experience that. Look what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. You've got to let the word of God, you have to let it come in. You have to let it. You have to let it dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then you'll be teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The verse before it talks about letting the peace of God rule. That same peace we're talking about. Letting the peace of God in your heart rule and then letting the word of Christ dwell in you. When we do that, it changes everything. When we let the word of Christ dwell in us, we're not pushing it away, but we're letting it do its work. We begin to sing when we used to complain. We, we begin to encourage people when we used to be more of a fighter with people. We make wise decisions when we used to be fools. We feel a deeply settled heart when there used to be turmoil and chaos. How could a person sing with everything that's going on in our nation? How could a person sing with all that we see around us? And how could a person like Josiah sing when he was born in that kind of a family? And how could you sing with the stuff that you're dealing with right now? With the stresses and the pains and the issues that you've got going on. How could you sing? You can sing when you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Anybody in here, all of us could be on this path to peace here. But we need to do these things and let then God's peace start to work. And then let me just give you where God promises this peace to end our message here this morning. Back with Josiah in verse 26, and this comes directly from a prophetess, a woman who was a prophetess back then, giving God's word to the people. Here's what she says, verse 26, and as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall ye say unto him, thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender. This is talking about Josiah here. Because thine heart was tender, and because thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in what? in peace. You'll be gathered to your grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I shall bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. Though God was still 
forced to bring judgment on the nation because of all the things that had taken place. But Josiah, he says, would go to the grave in peace. In other words, Josiah, because of your soft heart to God, because of your humility, because you let God have all of you, and because of the things that you did in your nation, I'm going to tell you right now, God says, I will bless you with peace your whole life, even in the middle of a nation that has lost their way. I so want God to say that to me. I so want God to say this to you. And our nation may be disastrous and our family may be backwards, but you will be at peace. You will be at peace. If you're here today and you're still at square one, you still haven't taken that first step, where the person that just crosses the line of faith and says, you know what, I've been holding back, but I know, I just need to accept the gift of salvation that Jesus has given. He died on the cross and he rose again, and that is the first step here. We accept that gift by faith and we say, Lord, I've done nothing to deserve this and I've done nothing to earn this and I want to follow you. And then after he changes you and you are risen with Christ and you become a new person, then begin to put on and put off, begin to surrender and and do all that we can to say, Lord, I am committed fully to your word and to rebuilding a life that follows you and you alone. Would you do that today? If you haven't, and if you're, maybe you're here, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've been doing these things, but I've let some of those things slip. I need to put off some things. There's some things I've let come back in, and I need to put them off. I've, I've, there's some things that I've put off, but you know what? I've just been going to the right hand or to the left, and I need to get back on track. I need to stay on track. Lord, help me to put on the good and stay saturated in the things of God. I don't know where you're at today, I would love to just be able to personally chat, but the Lord knows you. The Lord knows where you're at right now. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.